0: Well, we're going to take a look at a picture on the screen. I was a child of the 70s. That makes me really old. I am starting to get old. I was a, a child of the 1970s. And those of you who were around in the 1970s, particularly those of you of my generation, will remember all of those public information films that were on TV It was a terrifying time because everything was dangerous, or at least it felt that way when you switched on your TV, from making chips to to walking along the road or walking by a river to throwing a frisbee. Death was never far away in those ads and all of those things that we enjoyed doing. But one of the more gentle and likable campaigns was the one who featured this guy here the green cross code man. He was a man who taught us to cross the road in safety. We were to stop and look and listen and think, and we were to remember to look both ways. That was the key thing. We were to remember to look left and to look right. And when I think back to that, that's stayed with me ever since, so that even today when I go and I park to visit someone in the royal. I don't park in the car park because you might as well take all day just to get in and get back out again. I park over on a street off the Donegal Road, and I walk across by the Broadway roundabout, and even though on the ground it says in places, look left or look right, depending on the direction, I still to this day have a look this way and that way. It has stood me in good stead." Now, we don't have a Green Cross code when it comes to taking communion together, but what we do have is so much in God's Word that helps us to understand what it is that we are doing around this table today and the way in which we should gather together around this table. And so, during this communion season, over the three services, we have been taking time to think about what it is that we do when we come to communion, and the way in which we should do that. And it's not a case of remembering to look both ways, but instead, this communion season is a time for us to look in, it's a time for us to look back, and it's a time for us to look forward. And on Wednesday evening at our pre-communion, we started to do that. We thought about the importance that there is in looking inside as we come to communion. And that's such an important thing that I want to just highlight really quickly what it is that we were thinking about for those who were unable to be with us on Wednesday evening. We thought about what it involves to look in. As we thought about the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. If you've got your Bible, look at that chapter again and listen to this verse, where Paul says that a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Paul is saying, as you partake in communion, as you come here, you need to come in the right kind of way and with the right kind of heart. And the problem was that in the church in Corinth, that was not the case at all. They were coming to communion in totally the wrong way. It was a church that was divided and a church where there was discrimination. But why is coming to communion in the wrong kind of way such a serious thing? Well, Paul tells us in the previous verse, if you look at verse 27 He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks a cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And he goes on to say in verse 30 that in that particular church in Corinth, many people had been subject to the judgment of God because they had come to communion in an unworthy manner. And so, we need to be really clear today. It's so important that we understand this, that as we come to this table, we come as sinners. We know that. This is not a table for perfect people, because what we're remembering at this table is that we could not do for ourselves the thing that is most needed. We cannot save ourselves by our performance. We needed the sacrifice of another and more of that in a moment. But the vital thing is that we come to this table as repentant sinners. And so today, if you are approaching this sacrament knowing that there is a sin in your life that is persistent, and it's a sin that you barely care about or give not much thought to, in actual fact, you would be better not partaking in the bread and the wine, and instead taking time to truly repent of that sin, and to take steps to avoid repeating that sin in your life with the Lord's help. So, we need to look in. But then as we come to this table today, the second thing, and that is that we need to look back. And that's ultimately what we do in communion. It's why the Lord Jesus gave us this sacrament in the first place. It's why He commands us to do this thing, so that we will remember the death that He died for us on the cross. If you open up Luke chapter 22, and we think about the way in which this sacrament started, that on that night before Jesus' death, as He sat and had that meal with His disciples, we're told by Luke in Luke 22, verse 19, that Jesus took the bread, He gave thanks, and He broke it, and He gave it to them, saying, this is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And so today, here are the important things to look back on as you come to the Lord's table. First of all, look back to your life before Christ? And let's turn again to Ephesians 2 and the reading that we just read together a few moments ago because this is what Paul says in verse 1 of that chapter. He says to the people in that church, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And that's such a a stark way of describing what our life was like before Christ. You'll notice that Paul's not saying to them, you know, before Christ, you were lost, or you were misguided, or you were in a wee bit of difficulty. No, he says, you were dead. And then he goes on to tell these believers that he's writing to in verse 5 that they were then made alive in Christ. And you can't get a bigger contrast than that, the contrast between death and life. And what's Paul saying to those people and saying to us? Well, in what sense are we dead? Well, we're dead in our sins, without Christ, because we're not actually living life in the way that it's meant to be lived. We have been made to be in relationship with God. And it's also a reminder that for those who are without Christ, physical death will mark the beginning of an eternity lost from God and separated from Him. And it's seeing this contrast. It's looking back and seeing that we were dead in our sins, but we have been made alive in Christ that helps to grow a love for Christ in our lives as we think about what the Lord has done for us. And then if you look at the end of verse 3 in Ephesians 2, he says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So, that without the forgiveness and the rescue of the Lord Jesus, we are all subject to God's wrath. We are subject to His rightful anger at our sin. And we know that God has every right to be angry about our sin because it is rebellion against Him. Indeed, it is in His very nature. His nature demands such wrath, for He is, at essence, a holy God who can have nothing to do with sin. And folks, this is the bad news that makes the gospel such good news. And this lostness, this deadness, this being subject to the wrath of God is the reality for those without Christ. And so, I just pause for a moment and I ask, is that you here today? It's great to have everybody with us in church, but could it be that you're here today and you're, you're engaged in what's going on, but in actual fact, you do not know Christ in this saving way? Turn to Him while He is near. And so, this is why we remember Christ's death with such gratefulness, because we know it is a death that is so badly needed. So, look back to your life before Christ, but then look back to God's love for you. And as we do this, it is so important that we understand the sequence of events in our salvation story, because it's understanding that, that will ultimately give us assurance about our standing with God. It will give us confidence as we look ahead to eternity. Now, here's how some people imagine the sequence of things. Some people, when they look at the history of salvation, imagine that history to be something like this, that God created a good world, and He did. That sin messed things up, and it did the people rebelled against God, and we did. And then in their mind, they they kind of imagined that God sat back and He thought, oh dear, well, that didn't go so well. I better come up with a plan B here. I better do something about this. And He thought about it, and He thought, oh, well, I know what I'll do now that everything's gone wrong. Maybe I'll, I'll send my Son to sort things out. And so, in thinking in that way, many people tend to think about their own story of experiencing salvation as something like this. I've sinned, and I've turned away from God in my life, and I realize that I better turn my life around, and I've decided to come back to God. And then we think that God thought, oh well, okay then, if if that's what He feels, and if that's what He thinks, or if that's how she feels about that, maybe you know, I better better let that person into my kingdom. But that's not what the story of salvation in history or in your life is all about. Look back at the previous chapter in Ephesians, Ephesians 1 and verses 4 to 6, and we're told a very different story there, because Paul explains, for He, that is God, chose us in Him, that is Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace. So that today in this sacrament, in a few moments as you look back, It's not to a moment in your life, as important as that moment of coming to Christ is. It's not even just as far back as the cross, as vital as the cross is, and we'll come to that in a moment. We're looking back into eternity before the world began. For believer in Christ, He had you in mind. Your salvation originates with God the Father, so that as we come back to Ephesians 2 verse 4, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And what amazing words, because those words get us right to the heart of what God has done for His people and why He has done it. It gets us right to the heart of what we are remembering here today. And we hear their mention of love and grace and mercy. Is that just different ways of describing the same thing? Well, here's a quotation that I found really helpful by a a Christian writer, Peter Jeffrey. He says this, out of God's love, comes mercy and grace. And he explains, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. You need to think about that one a wee bit, maybe note that down and think about that again later on. And the way I've described this before, and I know I've shared this story here in Connor at least once before, but it's a story that that, that brings this home to me or helps me to understand it. And another aspect of it as well today, I've told you about the time when I managed to, to crash Bell Ann's new car when we were going out together on their lane at belle Ann's home and I thought I was doing a bit of rallying and the car ended up in the hedge. And you can imagine how I felt as I headed up the lane towards their house talk about creating a good impression. And I remember how mum mom treated me with grace. She gave me a hug. She made me tea. She said, stay here tonight. She treated me in a way that I did not deserve. It was grace. And then the next day when I got home again and I could see in my mum's face I could see what my mom wanted to do. She wanted to give me a clip round the ear, and she wanted to, to really go at me, but she kind of held back. She withheld the punishment that I fully deserved. You could say that my mom showed me mercy. Well, today, brother and sister in Christ, what grace and mercy God has shown us. Look back and see how He has treated you, that He placed the punishment that you deserve on another. And so, that's the final thing that we remember. We look back to the cross of Christ. We remember that event that lies right at the heart of God's salvation plan. We thought of those words at the beginning of the service. Paul describes it like this in Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To those looking on at the time, it was a pointless death, but we know that this was a death that followed a plan, and it was for a great purpose. Paul says that Christ died for us. He died for you and me taking our place, the sinless one taking our sin upon Himself, the innocent one being punished instead of us, paying the price that even with our very best efforts, we could never pay. And today, as we look back, in just a few moments, this is the sacrifice that we remember. So, when we come to this table, when you lift those elements of bread and wine, maybe as you look around, and now we don't really have that distraction to keep us looking at other things, maybe as you wonder, what is it that I'm meant to do in these moments? As I take that bread, as I I drink of that wine, as I wait for everybody else to do the same, what should be going through my mind? What should I be doing? Well, look back, Look back at the state you were in before you knew Christ. Look back at the love that God has for you. For a believer in Christ, you were in His mind before this world existed. Look back to the cross where His Son Jesus died for you. Amen.